Lord, I thank you this morning. I thank you, Father, for you made it possible for us to, to gather here, even virtually. It is not by mind. Therefore, we pray, O oh Lord, that you take your rightful position in our midst. Speak to your people in the language they will understand that your name be glorified. Blessed be your name, O oh Lord. As we come before you this morning, if there is anything, O oh Lord, that will debar you from being in our midst, O oh Lord, I pray, O oh Lord, that you take it away. Wash us, O oh Lord, that we may be whiter than snow. Purify us, O oh Lord, that we may be more pure than gold. We bless your name. We thank you. We lift your name high above every other name for you are worthy. Father, even the vessel you are going to use, O oh Lord, to speak to your people, it's a mere vessel. Father, make name for yourself. Reduce me, O oh Lord, and magnify yourself. Let the people hear your voice and not the voice of man. Ancient of days, blessed be your name. Amen. Mm. Can you guys hear my voice? Oh, like I said, the topic this morning is grace, reflecting on the life and the character of some past spiritual heroes. And this morning we are going to take our text. The main text is taken from uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter two, from four to nine. Ephesians chapter two, four to nine. And I read, I read. But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen. 
some time ago, yeah, I spoke on us, I spoke to us on the topic of grace of God. And we look at the literary definition as well as the synonyms. Most importantly, we examine the scriptural meaning, which is unmerited favor of God towards mankind. We were also able to identify the source and the origin, which is God. We were also able to establish that salvation is not a reward or wages for the good things we have done, hence the grace of God. We were also made to understand that grace is not a license for those in the household of God to dwell in sin. It's not a license. So this morning, we are going to reflect on the lives and the character of few individuals whom God used in the past to champion his divine purpose for mankind. And those individuals in chronological order, we look at Abraham, Jacob, King David, as well as Apostle Paul. As you can see, some of these individuals prior to their call, there were nobody, just ordinary individuals with no special abilities or knowledge, nothing, nothing special about them. Financially, they were not, you know, they were not the financial um, gurus or in technology or in their time. They were just nobody. Many of them, were neither the social nor the political elite of their time. Some, like David, was even the least among his brethren. But indeed, they were just ordinary individuals, just like you and I. But as the grace of God rests upon them, they put their trust in God. They did mighty things and were more than conquerors. And God engraved their names, not only in the annal of history, but in his heart. But going by a man's standard, given their background, their characters, as well as their stature, in the case of David, they may not have qualified and therefore could not have, in one way or the other, married or deserve such divine privileges, such recognitions and such favor of the Lord. But as we all know, God is not a man and cannot be limited. He knows the intent of hearts of all men and he sees beneath the surface. In other words, he knows us even more than we know ourselves. He knows, he sees even the intents of our mind. There is nothing hidden about us before God. We are physically, spiritually naked before him. 
In God's presence, there is no hiding place. He sees beneath the surface. And his ways are divine and quite different from that of man. Therefore, it is only by his grace that he could look at the chronic sinful nature of man and still judge him fit to be an instrument of his righteous and divine plan for mankind. In truth, many of those individuals were the chief sinners of their time, but God renewed their mindset and even gave them new identities. Folks, this morning, I want to let us know that our God is still the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His grace is ageless and has no boundaries. And if he could use such individuals to champion his divine purpose, I see no reason why he cannot use you and I in this present age. We only need to put our trust in him. We only, we only need to rest upon him and draw from him. To st let's start from the beginning. Abraham, go with me to Genesis chapter 11, if you can. Genesis 11. Genesis 11, I will read from 27. From 27 to 32. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begat Lot, and Haran died before his father, Terah in his native land, in awe of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. The daughters of Haran, the fathers of Milcah, and the fathers of Iscah. But several, but Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son, Abram, and his grandson, Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelled there. So the days of Terah, was 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, we look at uh, verse tw uh, chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father, from your father's home, to a land that I will show you. 
I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will cause him who causes you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken to him. And Lord went with him. I stop there for me. So prior to his call, Abraham was he was a semi-nomadic shepherd. His ancestors and fathers before him were idolaters and worshippers of all sorts of gods. And according to archaeology, archaeologists, the Ur and Haran on both sides of uh, Mesopotamia were important centers of moon god worshippers as well as hundreds of other astral deities. The Ur of Chaldeans, located near the city of Babylon, was a beautiful but wicked city where pagan sacrifices, including human sacrifices, were practiced. But the people in Mesopotamia did not know God. They worshiped all kinds of idols and followed the wicked ways of the kings and his people. And it was here that Abraham encountered God. That is where Abraham encountered God. If we read from this 12 down to the end, you will see how God uh, spoke to him, told him what to do, and in obedience, Abraham complied without no questions. He obeyed God. Now, despite God's promises and assurances, Abraham's confidence in God at some point wavered because of fear. He lied and deceived the Egyptians and the authorities. Because of selfish interests and the curve for favor of man, and without regard to the sanctity of his marriage, he put the life of Sarah in danger. He lied. And to the best of my understanding, lies is not an attribute of a godly man, of a believer. So this is Abraham. Even though he has this, he has this because of fear, he lied, he, he lied yet God still walked with him. So in Genesis 16, Genesis verse 16, uh, chapter 16, another blunder, 16, 1 to 16. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And he had an Egyptian male servant, maid servant, whose name was Hagar. 
So Sarah said to Abraham, see now, the Lord has restrained me from having children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. After Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of the Canaan, so he can, he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she has conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she has conceived, I became despised in, the, in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abraham said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from, my, from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit, to your, and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with, it, with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has had your afflictions. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. Then she, she called the name of the, of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Be'er-Lalaira. It is between Kadesh and Bere. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham named, Abraham named him, he named his son, whom Hagar bore to her, to him, Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Praise the Lord. So, Judging from this episode, you know, we are looking at, you know, the character 
we are reflecting on the characters of those whom God used in the past. So, judging from this episode, if God's standard of judgment were that of man, he would have turned around at this point and said to Abraham, you've blown it. Because Abraham, given that he put his trust in him and following the footsteps of God, shouldn't have mingled or his, if I can say, his, his trust, his belief wouldn't have wavered at this point, knowing that God has promised and that he will bring it to pass. But he went ahead. In all this, the grace of God prevailed. He went ahead to, to fulfill his promises and gave them new identity. Abraham became Abraham, father of nations. Sarai became Sarah. What's the secret? He believed in the Lord and it was credited to him for righteousness. That is grace. It is only the grace of God that he can look at this sinful man, look at this stark liar, this crooked man, yet God maintained his promises. God did not change. Like I said, God is still yesterday, today, and is God forever. Let's also look at Jacob, a special character. Go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25, 20 to 34. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over him, all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau, Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob 
Isaac was 60 years old when she bought him. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that, with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. This is just Jacob. From the womb, if I can use the wicked from the womb. In every aspect of his life, he was never direct. Just looking at ways to scheme around. Yet, the story of Jacob teaches us how God can greatly use and bless an imperfect man. Not because of who he, he who or, or, or she is or what he or she has done, but because of who God is. Most gracious and covenant keeping God. That's who he is. Jacob was one of the great patriarchs of the Old Testament. God established his covenant with Jacob, his grandfather, Abraham. The blessing continued through Jacob's father, Isaac, then to Jacob, and he went ahead to become the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And judging from man's standard, he was a man of questionable character, a schemer, a liar, and a manipulator. Right from the womb, he acknowledged and fought for his selfish interest. His treachery has no boundary. He wrestled with man and God, and he had lived. With the support of his mother, he robbed his brother, deceived his father, and received the blessing meant for his brother Esau. If you go to Genesis chapter 27, 1 to 37, you will see this. How he scheme, how he connived with the mom, and they took the bet rights. He was sent to his brother, uh, sent to his uncle. The same way 
even though the uncle dealt, dealt with him in his own coins. But in the, at the end of the day, he had his way. So, but each time I come across this um, passage, it breaks my heart. You know, when I look at how, you know, wonder how both the heavens and earth can conspire against one to favor another. But that is God we serve. He blesses who he wants to. That is God we serve. So by man's standard, it is the greatest injustice. Despite his character and personality, God chose Jacob for his divine purpose. He also gave him a new identity and his name became Israel. His name became Israel and God bless him. Even, even the way he died, show how blessed he was. After blessing his, his, his children and his um, grandchildren, he lied down and went to live with his maker. It's only few that will have such privilege. Few. But those that trust in God, those that put their trust in God, rely on him. This is the abortion, divine health, divine blessing. All this because of his grace, the grace of God. Another character that we need to look at is King David. If you go with me to the book of First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 16. I will read from 1 to 13. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemites. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul has it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his son and invite, invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab 
and said, Surely the Lord anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen this. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remain yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for he will not sit down till he comes here. So he went, so he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So prior to his choosing David, he was a nobody, even amongst his the family. They did not even count him as, as a man or even as a boy. He was just in the field, the shepherd of his family's flocks and the least of his brethren. He had no social or political ambition. But when the favor of God befalls him, his life was transformed and he was equipped for greater things to come. His record as the greatest king of Israel. That's in the history. He is the greatest king of Israel and a man after God's own heart. He dealt and killed Goliath, his age and physical stature notwithstanding. Why? Because the Lord is with him. The grace of God was upon him. After Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle, David is ascended as king and he conquered Jerusalem, taking the Ark of the Covenant into the city and established the kingdom founded by Saul. The book of 2 Samuel rec recorded the height, the highlight of David's reign, first over the territory of Judah, and finally over the entire nation of Israel. It traces the ascension of David to the throne, his climatic scenes of adultery and murder, and the shattering consequences of these sins upon his family and the nation. Yeah, judging from human perspective, he was 
more sinner than his predecessor. But the difference between King Saul and King David is the former was anointed for the people and the latter for God's divine purpose. That's the difference between Saul and the King, King, King David and King Saul. Saul was the people's choice. But David was God's choice. And that's, that's the difference. Going by character, going by by the, he, he, Saul was no, was not more sinner than David. Because as we go further, we will see what he did. The grace of God was upon him despite his sins and shortcomings. He committed adultery. If you go to Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 11. Second Samuel chapter 11. What he said, it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David was sent, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. He was getting a bit lazy. It says it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David, instead of going to battle, he remained, he relaxed. He relaxed and he sent, he sent the soldiers, his servants. So, then it happened one evening because he has nothing doing. He has all the time. So he's been roaming around within the palace. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. Remember, he's supposed to be at war front, but he was at home. That's why he has all the time. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him. And he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Job, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite 
and Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was, uh, how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the kings followed him. But Uriah slept at the doors of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, of the lord, of his lord, and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, "Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house?" This is. He was just trying to scheme and to cover up his sin. It's not only enough that he has converted a woman, a wife of his neighbor. He was trying to cover up, trying to send this man home to go and sleep with the wife so that to him, it will be that he was he's responsible for the pregnant. He, but the Lord did not permit that. The Lord did not permit that. What happened was that this man, instead of going home, decided to sleep within the palace and amongst the servants of the king. And he persuaded him to go home as if he's doing him a favor. And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab, the servant of my Lord, are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink? and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow, I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called, called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hands of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may struck down and die. So it was. Why Joab besieged the city? That he assigned Joab, he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out to fight with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. It was not only enough that he took 
David took his wife. He also schemed to put him in the forefront, in the war front, so that he would die. And this man died as well. So the, the only thing is that even though he committed this adultery, even though he did all these things, yet God seems seem it right to use him. God still work with him, even though God dealt with him. And that shows when the grace of God is upon individual, he became the oracle of the most high God. Even David in 2 Samuel chapter 6, 16 to 23. When he knew, when he heard that they, they decided to bring brought back the, the Ark of Covenant, he prepared everything and organize it in such a way that, you know, in, in such a beautiful and uh, in such a beautiful way. As they were coming, an incident happened. Um, Kat, uh, what's his name? Um, somebody wanted to help, wanted to help the the ark as if it was about to fall and God struck him. David was very, very angry and he decided to leave it there. But at some point where he left it, this man began to prosper. He began to prosper. So he decided to take it back. He decided to take the, the, the ark back to Jerusalem to, to the city of David. So in the process, he was jubilating, dancing, and he gave made, they made a lot of sacrifices to God. In the end, when he came home, the wife, the, the Melka, the daughter of um, Saul was very, very angry with him, seeing that he was that he was dancing naked. David caused him, and in the Bible, that's the only woman that was recorded as barren. This same David that have committed all these sort of atrocities. But he became an oracle of the most high God. Last but not the least, Paul the apostle. Paul, originally known as Saul of Tarsus, was before his conversion, a first century terrorist and the enemy of the early Christians. He was born in Tarsus, Cilicia, in the present day Turkey, around 4 BC. And according to the book of Acts of Apostles, Paul began his persecution of the churches in Jerusalem. Until about the midpoints of his life, Paul was a member of the Pharisees, a religious party that emerged during the later Second Temple period. 
Paul was certainly, he was, would have rejected the view of Jesus that he has been raised after his death, not because he doubted, whatever his reason, Paul's persecution probably involved traveling from synagogue to synagogue and urging punishment for Jews who accepted Jesus as the Messiah. But when he encountered Jesus, his life was transformed and he became the greatest apostle of all time. And during the years that he established, during these years, he established several churches in Asia Minor and at least three in Europe, including the church in, in Corinth. And out of the 27 books of the New Testament, 13 is attributed to him, while majority part of the Acts of Apostles deals with the life and the works of, and, and his works. Thus about half of the New Testament stem from Paul and the people whom he influenced. In preaching the gospel, Paul suffers tremendously, far more than the other apostles. However, the secret of his contentment was that he drew his strength from the Lord. If you go with me to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians chapter four. Corinthians chapter four. I will read from from verse 12, verse 12 and 13. He said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is the secret of Saul. The ability to persevere and be contented in every life situation depends largely on what you believe, whom you put your trust on, and where you draw your strength. So this morning, what is it that life is throwing on you? Is it health issues? Is it famine? Is it finance? Is it family? Is it your job? Whatever it is, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. And if you go to the book of, uh, if you go to Psalm 121, Psalm 121, Psalm 1, 2, 1, 1 and 2, he said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. 
from where, from whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel, who keeps Israel, shall neither slumber nor sleep. In Philippians, the same as we read in Philippians chapter 4, 13, 13 said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is nothing you cannot do. God is able. When you put your trust in Christ, everything, all the impossibilities will become possible. There is a saying that anything God cannot do does not exist. There is no situation he has no solution. This is what defines us. When we face with adversity, if we put our trust in God, knowing that he's able to do all things, he will solve the problem. But when we continue to rely on our individual strength, when we continue to, to rely on our individual um, wisdom and knowledge, that's when we, where we miss the point. And that is where defeat comes in. If you look around, have you asked yourself sometimes, why Christians, those that believe in God, are not, you know, we don't hear much about people taking their life. Christians, true believers, because they don't believe, they believe in Christ. They believe in a greater power than themselves. They believe that the solution is not within them. They believe that the answer to the problem is not with them, but with Christ. And when you have such mindset, and when you set your mind in the things of the Lord, when you put your trust in him, nothing will move you but the word of God. So Roman, if we go to the book of Romans, chapter 8, just rounding up. Romans chapter 8. I will read from that, uh, verse 35. Verse 35 to 39. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or perils 
or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all these, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In conclusion, there is so much to learn from the life of this man. There were ordinary people chosen by God and given the opportunity to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. They were not chosen because of any extraordinary qualities they possess. They were chosen because God wanted to make name for himself through them. But there was something these great men had in common in spite of their shortcomings, and that is faith. They trusted in God and it was credited to them as righteousness. Father, Lord, I thank you for how you've led us. I thank you, Lord, that you can look at us sinful men and yet deem it fit to use us. Lord, we thank you. We bless your name. We thank you, ancient of days, because you are worthy. Your grace is sufficient unto us. Father, we love you. We praise you. I pray, O oh Lord, that your grace, O oh Lord, shall not depart from us. Father, shower us with your blessings. May your mercy, your grace, your love surround us and grant us the ability, the strength, the wisdom to do your will, to preach the gospel, and to draw men, to draw souls unto thee. Blessed be your name. Lord, I commit the rest of the days into your holy hand, O Lord. I pray, Father, that you guide, protect. Bless the day, O Lord. Those that are sick, O Lord, we remember them this hour and pray. That let your healing power rest upon them. Stretch your hands, O Lord, your healing hands, your healing power that they may receive their healings in the name of Jesus. And let their healings be permanent, O Lord. We call upon Brian, 